0: Hello, this is The Ark, and I'm Rachel Kahn. Heresy, what's that? In the long history of Christianity, every aspect of belief and practice was subject to dispute and allegations of heresy. They include the true nature of Jesus Christ, the meaning of the sacraments, how to ensure salvation and entry into heaven, and the proper conduct of priests and popes. Cambridge Professor of Religious History Jill Evans covers it all in her brief history of heresy
1: even in the New Testament, you can see pretty strong differences of opinion. There are quarrels, aren't there, in in the Acts of the Apostles. There are quarrels about which way the Church is going to go on whether Christians have to observe the old Jewish observances. Deciding how you sort that out is a thing that takes them a lot longer. In other words, you've got to separate the recognition that there are going to be disagreements from anybody having enough authority to decide what to do about it.
0: Well, when does the church decide that it has to make clear what is the correct
1: view and keep out those who uh, are propagating the wrong views? Well, part of the problem is what the effect would be of letting all these different opinions just slosh about so that people meeting each other in the streets people who were all christians would say well what do you think about that i think something different when does that matter now they first began to feel it mattered when they could see christians being upset by it um being frightened that if they believed the wrong thing they would possibly not be acceptable to god so The the safety of people's souls was one hugely important consideration. But there's another factor, which is that the leaders of heretical opinion, what we later call heretical opinion, could be very charming and seductive and could get gangs following them. And then you get not just individual Christians disagreeing with each other, but factions, and that divides the Christian community. And is that when the church starts to develop creeds? Well, the creeds come out of two things. One is to provide a short statement that any ordinary Christian could could learn, could internalise, which can be connected with being baptised, so that you state what you believe when you're baptised as an adult, um, and also for use in liturgy, in, in the actual worship of the church. So. Saying what we believe and saying it together becomes an integral part of worship. What is now the Apostles' Creed is probably derived from those worship-based statements of the first century. But then once you get the positive warfare between factions, then you need to use a statement of faith for a different purpose, which is to say either you believe this or you're not with us, you're, you're a heretic.
0: And who were the infamous heretics
1: in the early church? The most notable one, because he had such a huge effect on defining and being absolutely clear what we understand by the incarnation of Christ, was Arius. There was a whole cluster of arguments going on about what had happened when God became man. Was there a whole human being who became God, in which case... Were there two natures, one divine, one human, were there two persons, were there two wills? And we have a couple of centuries, the, the, mainly the fourth century when it comes to its crisis, when people are divided and writing vicious letters to each other about disagreements over these matters. It's not all Arius's fault, but his name became a ringleader name.
0: And was it the function of the popes then to keep the heretics out of the church? Was that uh, why they become
1: infallible? The popes are only one primate; that is, the primate of the West, the patriarch of the West. In the eastern side of the old Roman Empire, there were four others: um, the patriarch of Constantinople, which is now Istanbul, and Antioch, and Alexandria, and Jerusalem. And each of those thought that he should be in a leadership position. So it's not until well after the 6th century, when Gregory the Great made a real strong bid for the Pope to be the top one, that the Pope of the West is seriously claiming to lead the whole church. So, yes, the Popes become important leaders, but it's much, much later, even than that, probably... Well, certainly the 12th century and onwards, before they are taking a kind of monarchical view of dictating what is the Orthodox faith. Until then, all through those earlier centuries, it's the councils that do it. The bishops meeting together, discussing a position on whatever the controversy of the moment happens to be. And indeed, is
0: the Orthodox Church, the Eastern Rite, ever regarded as an
1: out-and-out heresy? Well, that doesn't happen until 1054, when the Eastern Church and the Western Church fell out and anathemas were pronounced. That still is an unresolved division. It's the first giant schism between the East and the West. Uh, And if you asked a Roman Catholic, he might well say that the Orthodox were heretics. And if you asked an Orthodox, he would say... That the Roman Catholics were heretics, although they have the same faith, and the division is was at the time was more politics than anything else. Well, when we leap forward uh,
0: to the pre-Reformation period, with figures like Jan Hus in Bohemia and John Wycliffe in England, we we see a new development, and that is the um, the preeminence of the Bible as the source of authority. Now, it's quite interesting that in the case of Jan Hus, we see someone who is looking at the Bible for authority, but is himself
1: burned at the stake because of that. This is, again, an interesting development, which is more complicated than it looks. The reliance on the Bible goes right through the Christian centuries. There was in every century an enormous amount of intellectual effort put into commenting on it, preaching on it, it was always central. Now I think the reason for the special excitements of the 14th and 15th centuries that you're referring to just before the Reformation is that popular heresy, that is ordinary people who were not trained clergy and working in Latin had started to get seriously interested in theology and that was a bit scary for the church's authorities. These these were middle-class people with good incomes, articulate people, but not having a, a standard clerical education. And when the church's apologists or the, the, the church's authorities went out and said, you must do what we say, they would quote bits of Bible smartly back. And that meant that the church was confronted for the first time since the ancient world with an articulate laity. So the effect of this is to make them a sort of independent body of people saying we can make our own relationship with God even to one side of the official established church. Well, Jill, religious history seems to throw up always uh, two types
0: of people, those who are fixed on doctrine and the precise formulas of belief and those who see their role as imitating the life of Jesus. You suggest in your book that this latter group, those who strive for perfection, often end up as heretics. Is that what was happening largely in the Reformation
1: period? It's certainly one of the things that was happening, um, but it's to do with perceptions, isn't it? The people who put in front of them the objective of simply doing what Jesus said in the gospels, and that is following him and preaching the gospel, who didn't have any truck with the apparatus of the church, who said that only God knows who are his people, Uh, it's your personal relationship with God that matters, and here's the Bible to help you with it. That, That group of people were a threat to the church precisely because they said, in effect, we don't need your apparatus, we don't need your authority. It's really a power struggle. The best example of this is what happened when St Francis began his order in the early 13th century and tried to live in exactly this way, imitating Christ. Now, when he died, the problem which always arises when a leading figure dies presented itself to his followers. They had to decide either To carry on as he had or to set up an institution and train people and they split down the middle the ones who decided to set up an institution and train people were acceptable to the church because they put themselves within its structures the ones who said let's just carry on imitating Christ and preaching and wandering the countryside were seen as a dangerous lunatic fringe Now, I think the important thing is not that these people were unorthodox in their views, any of them, right through to the Reformation, but that they threatened the structures, they threatened the power that the official church had built up by that stage.
0: Well, one certainly sees that in the case of John Wesley.
1: Yes, that's a very good example, and and of course a much more recent one. Uh, there, There is someone who saw... A gap. He saw something that the Church of England of the 18th century was not doing very well, which was uh, p- preaching to people. It was holding services in a rather routine manner, but the people were not engaged, spiritually not engaged. So Wesley set out to fill that gap, and as you say, he is uh, a threat. He is disliked, he is feared. Jill, how did the church go about classifying heresies, or, or who were the great classifiers? The classifying is done almost throughout by councils of the church, as I say long before popes had any power to state what was the true faith or not. Councils of the church agreeing on what was orthodox and rejecting the current group who were causing the faithful to be upset and distressed. Now, when you get on a few centuries, say, to about the 12th, 13th century, I say a few because I'm primarily a medievalist, and to me, uh, 1180 is almost like yesterday. (laughs) But in in that period, there is already quite a long list of these episodes where there's been a challenge and a council has said this won't do. There's also quite a literature of sermons and books by people like St Augustine in the fourth and fifth centuries who were trying to deal with the heresies of their own day like the pelagians and the donatists now at that stage that is 12th and 13th centuries you do find catalogues being drawn up Uh, thomas aquinas produced a most useful handbook in which he classified all the types of heresy you could possibly hold on all the main topics of christian theology so when you met a heretic supposing he was unsafe unsound on the incarnation or on the doctrine of the church or on the fall of satan or any any of those things you simply looked up that topic and you could find out how many ways you could get it wrong and then you could identify what he was saying and say to him right you think that this is the answer to that one
0: Jill, the word heresy immediately evokes images of torture at the hands of the Inquisition. Now, recently, the records of the Inquisition have been opened by the Vatican. Has that altered our views of that
1: particular institution? Well, we knew quite a lot about it before. It's only some extra records which have now become available. Uh, I think you have to go back to what they thought they were doing. Now, I've said that this had become a bit of a power struggle but if you asked an honest inquisitor what was the purpose of what he was doing he would have said we are here to save people the the salvation of the people is as strong in their minds as in the minds of any evangelical you might meet who said who asked you if you're saved today some people Um, would say that they were really trying to save the church not the people oh yeah Yes, of course they were. I mean, the, the, this is like so much in human life, uh, very, very much double thinking. But their their stated aim was firstly to take individuals out of a village and find out if they'd got heretical views and give them a chance to recant check up on them a year later to see if they had recanted, and if necessary, the year after that, after which things might get a bit nasty, uh, because there was a fear that if you had one person in a village with such views, they would breed others, that they'd infect others. So it was the, the, the big principle is the stumbling block to the faithful, which of course in Latin is a scandalum. And the idea was that the Inquisition, by these very brutal methods, would actually save people from themselves.
0: Of course, being burned at the stake by the Inquisition was but a prelude to the fires of hell. That's Jill Evans, author of A Brief History of Heresy.